The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside Jim Margulis. And we are streaming live Wednesday night, September 7th in 2022. And we just watched the White Sox wrap up their series in Seattle. And dare I say, Jim, that was maybe the win of the season for the Chicago White Sox. The first seven batters to face Luis Castillo all struck out. It looked like Luis Castillo for the Seattle Mariners. He had no hit stuff in which we just recently saw Dylan Cease have no hit stuff or almost no hit stuff just a couple days ago. It looked like the White Sox were dead in the water when they were down by four, but they come all the way back and they win nine to six. For me, Jim, I think it's one of the season. What are your thoughts as we are streaming just a few minutes after this game concluded? I think it probably is in terms of having everything, the lows, the highs, the creamy middles, <laughs> um, the, and, and, you know, also, you know, on the Mariners end, like they thought they had it made, then they were devastated. Then they thought they were back and, you know, facing the, really shaky underbelly of the White Sox bullpen. Uh, we saw what it looks like when they're avoiding using Kendall Graveman three times in four days. Like uh, it gets dicey. You have Vince Velasquez uh, doing setup work. You have Jake Diekman to Joe Kelly to Aaron Bummer uh, for the first time in three months. So I I'm looking forward to writing the recap. I haven't started. It was one of those games where it didn't feel like I should start the recap at any point because I might have to scrap most of what I wrote and the <laughs> late action would probably change how the you know, earlier action would be characterized. So I'm, I'm, you know, when I go to the recap after we're done recording, I'm, I'm going fresh. All right. I think that's a good idea because when it was four, nothing, you, you start writing a game recap. You're like, okay, we can get this started. Michael Kopech, Really good first inning, but then, you know, the rust was breaking off and then he ran into trouble and Eugenio Suarez hits that home run and the way that Luis Castillo's pitching, the game was pretty much over. And then you go, just rip it up halfway through, especially in the sixth inning. White Sox take the lead. What a comeback. 
And then the bullpen comes in, rip that up because they can't hold the lead. Uh, and then the, the craziness of the eighth inning and then the ninth inning. And then eventually, thanks to, as you mentioned, Vince Velasquez and Liam Hendricks, they get the game to calm down a bit for the White Sox as the White Sox won nine to six and the box score is just crazy. I mean, again, Luis Castillo struck out the first seven batters that he faced that ties a Seattle Mariners club record for consecutive strikeouts in a game. And he set a new record for the Seattle Mariners for most consecutive strikeouts six to start a game, actually all seven uh, to start a game. But you go down the line, and then eventually the White Sox figured it out. Jose Abreu went one for four, but he had two RBIs. Aloy Jimenez continues to rake for the White Sox. He went three for four with three ribbies. Gavin Sheets didn't have a hit on the day, but he had two big RBIs for the Chicago White Sox. So the middle of the order finally pulls through and helps push the White Sox to a series win. And Jim, this is significant because Seattle... Before arriving home to face the White Sox, again, they're the hottest team in Major League Baseball since June 1st. They have the third best record in Major League Baseball since that time. And they had just won six or seven consecutive games. They just, seven in a row, they just swept Cleveland in Cleveland. So that was a huge help for the White Sox. And here we are, not exactly sure where we stand with this White Sox team. And they pull off this minor miracle. They win the series in Seattle. And now they can take this momentum with them to Oakland, which they need a big series. And we'll preview that series later in this show. But that's why I think this is the win of the season so far for the White Sox. Because if you're still skeptical, if you didn't want to hop in the bandwagon, that the White Sox can make one last run to the postseason, I get it. Jim and I had like one foot on the bandwagon. But after this type of game, I think I'm sold. I'm back on the bandwagon. And if the bandwagon crashes, that's fine, Jim. I'll crash with the bandwagon. Because even though this season has been aggravating and very frustrating as we've been watching it unfold, you've been saying it. If if it's between two evils, making the postseason and getting them and watching them possibly get crushed again, or not making the postseason and having no clue what the offseason is going to bring for the White Sox, you might as well enjoy some playoff games. Yeah, I, I you well, you already survived one bandwagon crash with the uh, AJ Pollock one, although I don't think he was going fast enough. <laughs> I think he more or less rolled to a stop. Yeah, it's one subplot of this series was kind of interesting. He had Steve Stone on the score um, talking about you know, Tony La Russa. He expects him to come back and expects him not to be done managing. And then he had a Paul Sullivan uh, column in the Tribune that was hoping he wouldn't be done managing. And based on his work earlier in the year and his criticism of Larusa and just you know not really liking what Larusa is doing, I think he more wanted Larusa to come back to fail to kind of like sink with the ship or bring the ship down with him and and that be the dominant story. Except he didn't write it with enough acid uh, to uh, you know really sell that point, like really make it spiteful. He just kind of said like he wrote it more like a soap opera. Will it be a fairy tale ending? And then, you know just kind of wrote it wishy washy like and 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 you know that makes fans the collateral damage. And when you see one like this, I find it hard to believe that Larusa would come back like that they would allow it to happen like it seems like everything's going too well i think you had yasmani grandal uh, a little bit of uh i guess would be I a found the 
quotes well, some, to Liam Hendricks, right? In yeah. the quotes about Tony LaRusso. What, what was it? Something like, you know, I asked him about the, the, the tone of the clubhouse or vibes of the clubhouse. He said, like, what do you think, you know, when it comes to whether they'd improved? It's really hard to imagine him coming back because everything – you know, whether the Sox make the postseason or not, I mean, Cleveland has a lot to do with it. They control the destiny. If Cleveland gets hot, the White Sox could play well and not make it. That's the hole that they've dug themselves. But if they end the year in an upswing, it's just like at least we're all rooting for the same thing, which is wins. We're not rooting for, uh, you know, productive losses in terms of like productive losses. Heads will roll. It just it's it's where we should have been all along in terms of just enjoying this team, allowing ourselves to be pleasantly surprised rather than like just expecting the worst and usually getting it because nobody's healthy and, and you you know, just whatever reason, people are not in the right place at the right time, uh, field-wise, batting order-wise. Just, you know, any time, like, the you know, game situations found the weak spots of the White Sox. And now I think, like, we see it. We think, like, oh, 4 nothing, they're going to be down, uh, you know, for, for the rest of the game. Let's see what happens in Oakland. And, you know, they they come back. They they hit some homers, which is nice. Uh, they're able to uh, quick strike and, and all of a sudden stun the other team a bit to um, buy themselves some time to get back into it. So, I mean, this is what we thought we'd be seeing more of and i know it's late and might be too late depending on how cleveland plays but at least it's at least it's here which i find i find that more comforting even if it's frustrating just because like it sucks to have a team that's you know should be projected for at least high 80s and then like they get to 80 wins and you feel like you know why and at least we if the team shows up and plays like this in september at least we'll understand that the talent was there it was just hurt misplaced what have you but at least it was there we did get this comment in our YouTube section for those that are listening to the podcast feed. Mike Keeley, Josh is one more bad Lucas Giolito start from breaking a few ribs, falling off the wagon. Listen, Mike, I can separate the two. Like, I can put Lucas Giolito in his separate compartment in the bandwagon. Like, it's his start. This is going to be a little bumpy. I, I can do that. I can set myself up for disappointment and <laughs> then pick myself right back up for the rest of the weekend. And we'll preview the White Sox pitching probables against the Oakland Athletics. But you mentioned Tony La Russa, and it's Paul Sullivan, and it's Steve Stone, and it's even Ozzie Guillen as well on 670 The Score, advocating that if La Russa is healthy and the doctors say that he could return, he should return. I get that perspective. However, I think instead of advocating and pounding the table that LaRusso should be coming back and he should manage the rest of the season and his career as a manager shouldn't end like that. He had his chance. Tony LaRusso had his chance to ride off in the sunset as a manager. Very few get that opportunity and he gave that up. That's on him. That's not on anyone else within the Chicago White Sox. Don't even send the organization down that guilt trip. But I think a lot more credit, what people should be talking about, is giving a lot more credit to Miguel Cairo. This is not an ideal situation for anyone in Major League Baseball to become an interim manager when the manager is suddenly ill and moments before you're supposed to play a game, they have to leave because of an emergency. And the next day, they have to fly back home for more medical tests. Here you are, Miguel Cairo. Make sure the ship doesn't sink because uh, we still have expectations of making the postseason. And I have to say, you know, we, we're not going to nitpick as far as every decision that he's made as a manager, but it does appear that this team is responding well to Miguel Cairo. The ship is not sinking. They, they haven't drowned yet. 
And they're still alive in this thing. And I think Miguel Cairo should get a lot of credit for keeping this team afloat, at least from an interim manager perspective, Jim. I agree. And to go back to your LaRusa point, remember last year when he kind of dragged his feet on announcing whether he'd be back because he wanted the clubhouse to want him back. Remember he, you know, he did that kind of fishing for compliments thing. Like I only want to be where I'm wanted. And so does that apply here to where like, if everybody's like, Hey, we're pretty good without you. Um, you know, will he try to barge back in? <laughs> yeah, here's where I question his sincerity uh, to go back to a, a, a original uh, storyline to when he was hired, you know. Um, but yeah, Cairo, that's one of the funny things about the situation and the way the White Sox have handled it is I wrote about this and I said, like, you know, it's one thing to say, like, you know, not want to go too far into what LaRusse is dealing with her, whether because it's real or not, or because it's private information or not, or just, you know, they'd rather have him disclose what he wants to disclose. But I would think they would at least use a public appearance. Uh, Rick Hahn, yeah, because I don't think Kenny Williams would do it. Like Rick Hahn saying like, here's what we expect from Miguel Cairo. Here's why we hired him. Here's what we think he can do just to set some baseline of expectations. You know, maybe not even a timeline, but just say like, if this is the guy we think that he can grow into the job that, you know, he's you know just some kind of baseline baseline so we we've gone in this completely cold and yeah there have been some questionable moves and and like you know watching uh hopscotch through uh you know five innings with Kopech uh getting knocked out early and and, and wondering like you know Deacon to Kelly like Kelly against the top of the order like and then you know, uh, you know Velasquez for the eighth and some worked out some didn't you know, a bummer for the first time against the top of the order or, or the heart of the order I should say uh in a one-run game like is that when you want Aaron Bummer to come in and sure enough two pitches in and gives up uh the, the tying home run but you know so I don't want to nitpick too much there because you know, we saw later on that okay Graves Graven's not available I guess they're avoiding Lopez so this is what you get but just like yeah try not to get too into like narratives and saying what my eyes want me to see like in terms of like I'd really like Miguel Cairo to breathe new life into this White Sox team I'd like to see them respond better I'd like to see them play better and 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 show more of a spark because we didn't see under Larusa and we want Larusa gone so I'd like to be proven correct in 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 what we've been saying and and you know what you know, in the honor of White Sox fans, what White Sox fans have been saying and seeing. So I, I don't want to try to, I guess, have that cloud my thinking, but just when it comes to just the, the performance so far, uh, not crumbling in September for the first time in a while, like usually this is a bad second half team, a bad uh, fourth quarter team on seasons, just because they lack the depth to get that necessary um, uh kick at the end like so far they're they're doing it they're hanging in there they're overcoming some adversity uh we're seeing cairo in the middle of things jong with umpires getting ejected like this team is responding to uh up and in pitches there uh there's a certain something there like i think we're seeing good things if not you know, like exactly what we see maybe the thing yeah you know, the same events unfolded in la Russa and the white Sox look similar but we're not seeing bad things and we're seeing good results so it's like okay that's uh, given, you know, how Cairo could have looked, you know, putting a guy who's never had any kind of manual experience into a pennant race, like could look worse. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit because you might've been in Wisconsin about, uh, about that time, but when Ned Yost was fired, uh, at the yeah. end of the Brewers season where they were kind of hanging uh, onto a, uh, a spot and, you know, they just said like, 
can't do it. This is just not working. We're going to go with the, was it Dale's fame? Was was that the, yep. uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Just going with him because like this just isn't working and it worked, right? They, they made the uh, postseason without Yost. And I think Yost learned from that when he went to Kansas city and, and kind of became a, a new man. So like, they, but they just realized this is, we, we can't do this the way it's working. And I think I'm seeing some of that right now. Yeah. That, that is a good analogy in the Milwaukee Brewers fired a manager and still making the postseason in September, there was a lot of back and forth with Ned Yost and Doug Melvin back in those days. And CeCe Sabathia went into Super Saiyan mode <laughs> along with them and Ben Sheets to carry that team uh, into the postseason for the first time since like 1982. That was a crazy time to be in Wisconsin and Milwaukee watching that Brewers team make that run. I, the, the White Sox are 6-2 and two since Tony La Russa left. I mean, does that count the, the game? Does that does that count the game where he? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. They six and three then. Yeah, okay. They, yeah, but yeah, six and two. Because I make sure not to count that game because, like, give Miguel Cairo like a few hours to prepare and know he's the uh, job. <laughs> he has the job before you pin it on him. Yeah. So since he's been named interim manager, and we got the press release that the White Sox announced that Tony Larusa would be out indefinitely, the White Sox are six and two under Miguel Cairo. This is one of the better stretches of the season for the White Sox. And I think there's just too much of, well, we have to defend Tony La Russa right now. And let's send out all the old ex-baseball players and old newspaper columnists in Chicago to go defend Tony. Forget that. Let's give a lot of credit to Miguel Cairo for keeping this team afloat, to continue to having this team focus, and having this team believe. Because a team that does not believe in themselves, they do not come back four to nothing, especially with the way that Luis Castillo was pitching for the Seattle Mariners, especially for the team that has had the best record in the American League since June 1st, and they just swept your division rival that leads the American League Central. A team that does not believe in themselves would have not come back. And the White Sox, you can give them credit for that. They still believe that they can make it into the postseason and win the American League Central. One last thing about this particular series uh, that I find a little bit fascinating, maybe it is a taste of what could become if the White Sox reach the postseason, Jim, is that this series is a little bit of a taste of the postseason preview for the Chicago White Sox. They're still struggling for the most part against quality right-handed starting pitching. But I I do take solace knowing that with the way that Cueto pitched against Seattle and Lance Lynn, thank you, Lance Lynn. That ribeye is going to taste amazing. Stay hot, buddy. Stay hot. Have him pick the steak type. Uh, I'm going to go with the Lance Lynn meal at this steakhouse at Bavette's. Keep it going, Lance. You've been awesome. We've been doing the starting pitching power rankings for the White Sox all season. Like if they make the postseason, who are the three guys you're going with in the series? I think it's pretty clear now it's Cease, Cueto, and Lance Lynn. And the way that these guys have pitched, especially against Seattle in the first two games, gives me hope that, yes, if the White Sox can make the postseason, I do like their chances in that opening three-game series at home. Now that Lynn has the curveball, like, yeah, I wrote about that, just having 
a you know having his fastball command back having the cutter command back like having all four quadrants and throwing 94 to 96 like that's great but also just having the curveball having the swing and miss pitch the breaking ball that changes planes and velocity to where you don't run into an astro situation where you look at uh lynn and say like well the astros hit him hard and i know why and they might do it again and they do and we're like oh well, I guess like, uh, where do we go from here? Like, I, I think we've seen where Lynn goes from here, which is to try to add a wrinkle. And so he's added a wrinkle. So, yeah, I mean, I, I might flip that depending on how they finish just because Cueto is throwing like 91, 92, rather than getting up to 93, sometimes 94. So I wonder if he's tiring a bit, like it's working, but against like, you know, postseason grade offenses, like top of the line offenses, be it Toronto, be it uh, uh, Houston, like I might be inclined to go with a Lynn there. If Lynn finishes the season looking like peak Lance Lynn, except with the curveball that he likes this time, like, but either way, like those are the three, I think. And then uh, it really comes down to like who you roster for the other, um, you know, for, for, I guess the middle inning work or like the first reliever in work. I think you have Michael Kopech go to the bullpen and whatever innings that you are possibly even Thinking about giving to Joe Kelly, you give you give him to Michael Kopak. Uh, I almost want to leave Joe Kelly off the postseason roster. He won't be. He'll be on it if the White Sox reach it. This might be also be how they're managing like the. I mean, if we're saying we're talking about the postseason too soon, this might be how they manage like the final series of the season. <laughs> oh, Joe, your shoulder. What's wrong? Maybe we need to send you on the IL. <laughs> He does. What has he got going there? A Fu Manchu? A little Hulk Hogan from Michael Kopech? Yeah, the, uh, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a Hulk Hogan, kind of like the uh, Mad Hungarian. But yeah, it's, it's, he's going for the, I think he's already working on his late season plans here. All right. I like it. I like it. Let's get in that mentality and the White Sox to get a little help from the New York Yankees. As we are streaming this, the Minnesota Twins and Yankees are going to be playing game two of a doubleheader because their game on Tuesday got rained out. So they're playing two games on Wednesday. And the Yankees, painstakingly, uh, did beat the Minnesota Twins in extra innings. So the White Sox currently, as we are streaming this, uh, I believe they're a half game or they are going to be tied with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, and we really could use, a, as White Sox fans, we really could use another win by the New York Yankees. And keep those vibes going and help the White Sox get into second place before Cleveland and Minnesota face this upcoming weekend in Minneapolis and the White Sox make their way to Oakland to face the athletics for four games. We're going to preview that series next, but quickly here, a word from our sponsor trade coffee. It's a coffee subscription service. Unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with the top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the United States every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can be like me and take their coffee quiz and get expertly matched with coffees you'll love. It's the easiest way to get your best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it and you've got nothing to lose because trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If you don't, they'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners and watchers on YouTube a total of $30 off your first order plus shipping at drinktrade.com slash machine. That's drinktrade.com slash machine for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the Chicago White Sox get on a plane and they fly south from Seattle to Oakland. And the Oakland Athletics, how do I put this, Jim, are still not good. And we said this last time that the White Sox were going to be facing the Athletics in Chicago. And then the A's, thanks to Seth Brown, were a headache. Even though the White Sox won that series, it was, they did not make it easy. The A's won that opening game. And at times, just sitting in the stadium, I felt like pulling my hair out of my head. Like, it's Oakland. You're better than them. You should sweep them. Guess what? It's September, Jim. Guess how I feel. It's Oakland. You're better than them. You should sweep them. And I think the White Sox definitely need a big series win because you do have this stretch where you have this four-game series against Oakland. Then you come back home for two games against the Colorado Rockies. And then you have that makeup game that you have to go to Cleveland for one game. So an opportunity to gain a game on the Guardians. And then three games Again, on the road to Detroit, a place that the White Sox have had a lot of success. This is an easy stretch of the part of the season. They continue to stub their toe during every single easy stretch of their season. They need to take advantage of it, and it needs to start this weekend. Yeah, I'm thinking like when they played Oakland the last time, I, I think we were waiting for the offense to kick and say like, okay, this is the easier schedule. Like that was when like they were just pretty much got out of the hard stretch of the schedule. And we're trying to adjust our expectations or think like, here's where the offense kicks in because they've been facing an unusually difficult stretch of pitching. A lot of right-handed pitchers, like pitchers make them look bad. Now it's going to soften up a bit and it took time to soften up. And it really kind of didn't, you know, partially because of injuries, partially because the team was flawed uh, and, and constructed in a poor way. So, uh, but I'm now I'm hoping that we, we talked about it like this month I would think that there isn't like a letdown game possible here, like coming off this kind of win in Seattle. Like, I don't think, you know, given that they're still behind Cleveland, in the standings, they're still behind Minnesota for the time being in the standings. Like there really can't be such a thing as a letdown game anymore. Like you can't use it as an excuse. You can't say like riding high and such like everything's pretty well set up. The pitching has been great aside from like Kopech, this stumble, which is you know partially the defense, but I mean like the bullpen has been able to work, on a pretty regular schedule with rest built in and, you know, uh, the White Sox were able to squeeze a day of rest for uh, Graveman and, and Lopez where there might not have been. So they should be set up well for the series. Um, you know, Luis Robert is the only, if you won, but I mean, Jimenez looks good swinging the bats. Um, you know, Vaughn's look good. You know, Sheets has looked good. So, I mean, like they, 
defensive liabilities in the outfield at least are all hitting well enough to at least make it worth it or at least make it worth like maybe playing two of the three guys in the outfield or one of the three guys in the outfield and have the other guy at first base, what have you, whatever permutation he set up. But this is kind of what we thought the White Sox would look like the last time they played Oakland. So hopefully it's the case where it does actually show up in practice to where like if they beat Luis Castillo and they shook, they, they shook off seven consecutive strikeouts to open the game. You would think that that would be a little bit of a confidence booster to say like, one, two, three inning for James Caprillion or what have you. Like, we can get past that because we got past three perfect innings from Luis Castillo uh, when he struck out seven in a row. And uh, ball and play was looked like a, a, a treated as a godsend. Well, for the Chicago White Sox, the probable pitchers in this series, again, starting on Thursday night at 8.40 p.m. Central Time, Dylan Cease tries to follow up his outstanding start at home when he had a no-hitter against the Minnesota Twins going into the ninth inning. He'll be making the first start of this series against the Oakland Athletics. The Oakland Athletics are going to actually be tossing a couple of left-handed pitchers. The first one's going to be J.P. Sears. And J.P. Sears has been pretty good for Oakland this year. He has a 2.37 ERA. Friday night, it's Lucas Giolito against James Caprillion. That game's going to be at 8.40 p.m. Central Time. And then moving into Saturday and Sunday, these are 3 o'clock p.m. Central Time games, so you could watch the White Sox and Athletics after the Bears 49ers game in Week 1. It'll be Lance Lynn against Adrian Martinez on Saturday afternoon, and it'll be Johnny Cueto against Cole Irvin. Cole Irvin is the second left-handed pitcher who'll be making that start on Sunday against the Chicago White Sox. And a reminder for those that are currently watching or listening to this episode with our friends from the 108. Our next playback, our next watch party is going to be that Saturday afternoon tilt as the White Sox take on the athletics. Our stream will start at 3 p.m. Central Time. Our upcoming schedule for live watch parties will be back on Friday, September 16th for the White Sox Tigers game. And then September 27th, that's a Tuesday night for the White Sox against the Minnesota Twins in Minneapolis. And again, you can watch on getplayback.com slash room slash Sox Machine. We'll post up this, the links and everything on SoxMachine.com and on Twitter. We always have a blast doing the watch parties with our friends from the 108 and look forward to our Saturday watch party. In the comments section on YouTube, we did get this uh, interesting question and comments that we've been getting. And this comes from William Thrasher. And William makes the point in the comments section during the live stream, Jim. We definitely need to give credit to Elvis Andrews for the new team vibe just as much as Miguel Cairo or anyone else. And Elvis Andrews, we both advocated for the White Sox to sign Elvis Andrews when we knew that Tim Anderson was going to be out for six weeks with his finger and injury, needing surgery. Unfortunately, the rookies were just not ready to take over at shortstop and be reliable. That was a smart move by the White Sox front office. Really, it was like their only move to make sure this team didn't sink. And Elvis Andrews was having an okay season, maybe a slightly below average season with the Oakland A's. And even though he's not putting up superstar numbers for the White Sox, he is coming up in the clutch. And especially in the game against Seattle when Yohan Makata deflected a ball or he got in the way of Elvis Andrews late in the game, Andrews made a phenomenal defensive play. This is kind of a revenge series for Elvis Andrews as the Athletics gave up on him. So I'm hoping that he has a monster series against Oakland to get his revenge. 
But even even if Tim Anderson does return to Jim, and we don't even know if that's a certainty, I'd like Elvis Andrews to stick around because he has been valuable for the White Sox. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, concerning to me when we talk about like you know Andrews lifting the team because you know when we think about like how the White Sox are built, should they need somebody like Elvis Andrews to come in and be somebody who provides like some veteran savvy and some 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 confidence? Because I mean that's kind of what they got Josh Harrison for in a way. It was like, well, we're pretty much set around the infield. We just need a guy to fill in and be that kind of just. Uh, shepherd slash motivator slash great clubhouse glue guy. I'm just out of curiosity. I'm looking to see what the, oh, they're about the same. Like I was curious if the uh, uh, A's had played any better or worse uh, since uh, letting Andrews go. And they're like seven and 11. So, I mean, like that's kind of what there are in the season. So it's not like they're, they're lost without him. but it, it's fascinating to watch just because, um, you know, I've seen the question come up and Steve earlier in the uh, comments asked like, you know, if Tim Anderson comes back, should they move Andrews from short? And, uh, you know, I guess my thought on that is like, is Anderson going to come back? Like based on the way the White Sox have handled injuries and the way like Anderson has uh, the way he played uh, after coming back from the groin injury to where he was basically like Alcides Escobar. Is that going to be the guy? And if are the White Sox going to rush him back or if they do rush him back, is it going to look like he's ready or is it going to be like Luis Robert to where like he can only play one out of every four days? So I'm really not thinking about, uh, you know, Anderson coming back or expecting him to contribute in any way. And if he somehow arrives looking anything like his old self then that's a bonus right now i think like you know have andrews be the anchor of the infield romy gonzalez playing pretty well at second base like he's made some rookie mistakes here and there and he almost passed andrews going back to first on the homer that uh clanked out of mitch hanniger's mitt so i think gonzalez plays a little bit amped up at times and, and his motions get a little bit too fast but He's at least like overcoming his mistakes or like if he does, you know, has a bad at bat, you know, bobbles the ball, like he comes through with a decent play the next time. Like it doesn't look like it gets under his skin. So I think the two of them right now are kind of the, the surprising unexpected middle infield. Like certainly we thought maybe Gonzalez might be a factor at some point in the season before he had the hamstring issue and tonsillitis. But like if we heard that the late uh, May when Gonzalez was hurt and bad in Charlotte, like if you heard that the infield uh, is going to be uh, Elvis Andrews at shorts and Romy Gonzalez at second. Like, what would you think their record would be? Where do you think they would, you know, like, was there a collision short center field that knocked out Roberts, uh, Harrison, Garcia, and, uh, you know, Anderson? Was there like a triangle that somehow included four people? <laughs> knocked them all out. But this is the way things are. And I guess it's nice that the White Sox added a veteran at the deadline or after the deadline, and he looks like the best version of himself. Because usually they get the dregs. They get the guy who's out of gas, the guy who's nothing left. Uh, like Jake Diekman is kind of living that reality right now for the White Sox, being somebody who's just very, very flawed, and his flaws are uh, rather evident when you watch him you know, day in and day out. Like Andrews is being like the best version of himself, and it's very refreshing. <laughs> and I don't exactly know what happens. Like I would think that just based on defense and also like, you know, the way Anderson was moving and struggling a bit that I would rather see Anderson at second, just because uh, neither of them have played second. So it's a toss up either way. And uh, if you want the guy in a groove and in rhythm and handling the position for the previous weeks during a pennant race, like I'd stick with that side of the infield, but you know, given precedent, given Anderson's importance to the team, his status, like who knows, but I'm more or less treating with a shrug right now, just because it's the white Sox and injuries. So why would you expect them to handle it? Well, that's a really good point. Cause they're not handling the Luis Robert injury well at all. And I don't know how much we're going to see Luis Robert play in this upcoming series against Oakland. 
he can't swing a bat. So, yes, you're right, Jim. That if they're going to handle this like Luis Robert, and if Tim Anderson rushes it and tries to come back believing that he could still help the team this year, and I think that he does believe he could still help the team, but it's been six weeks. It's a hand injury. You need live reps. You need to go to Charlotte to get those live reps if they're still playing. Or you need to go to like Arizona or you need to, during batting practice, you have to take live batting practice to get caught up to speed. We could still be a ways away before Tim Anderson realistically rejoins the Chicago White Sox. So I think it's okay to shelve this particular debate closer to when we have a better idea of when Tim Anderson is going to be returning to the White Sox. But Elvis Andrews has been making the plays for the White Sox. He has solidified the shortstop position when it looked really sketchy for a moment there with Lenin Sosa and Lurie Garcia dealing with knee injuries and then Romy Gonzalez. I feel a lot better in these uh, past uh, couple of weeks watching Elvis Andrews man the shortstop position and everybody else move over to second base. And uh, it seems that Romy Gonzalez is a little bit more comfortable at second base. And I like the way that he swings the bat. He does hit the ball hard, and he is intriguing out of all the options. It's kind of working for the White Sox. I mean, to answer your question, in September, you don't you have A.J. Pollock playing center field, and Elvis Andrews is the starting shortstop. What happened? I would say, yeah, you're right. Tim Anderson and Luis Robert collided in center field. They're both dead, and the White Sox are 69 and 68. <laughs> Bikes fell off and 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 poked, uh, you know, blinded Josh Harrison, and yeah, just yeah. And we got a uh, comment, follow up comment from uh, TGS Kelly in the comments saying, "Put one at third uh, between uh, you know Andrews and Anderson. If Moncada keeps doing nothing offensively, and that's I get it, but if." Anderson is you know, coming off a hand injury and he was looking at like Alcides Escobar before the hand injury. I think I like Moncada at the plate rather than Anderson. Like I want Anderson to show something before. Yeah, I guess it comes down to just, I don't trust Anderson to be anything like himself for the remainder of the 2022 season. That's kind of how I'm treating it. And if he comes back and looks like a mix, like I can see that taking place for a game. Like I can see Andrews playing third, uh, Anderson playing short, just mixing it around, just seeing what Anderson has. But, uh, I would say permanent plans. Yeah. Just table that until you actually see, uh, what he looks like swinging the bat, because like if they're in denial about how rough Robert looks, then it's just hard to trust them that they will exercise the same care and caution and, uh, and, and clear eyed judgment with, uh, Anderson when he tries to swing the bat with a hand surgery himself. I am going to defend Yohan Makata a little bit. He has shown some life at the plate during the Seattle series. From a scouting perspective, the swing looks a lot better. And when he did return to get those couple of singles with an exit velocity greater than 105 miles per hour, let's wait and see on how Makata does over the weekend against Oakland and then going back home against the Colorado Rockies before completely riding off Yohan Makata offensively. I'm with you guys. It has been a gigantic disappointment of a season for Yohan Makata at the plate, and it is something that I am going to be repeating during our offseason reviews of 2022. Again, we're talking about Yohan Makata's offensive performance, but in the recent week here since he's returned to the injured list, there's some life in that bat. Let's see if he can get into a groove and find some rhythm and, and have himself a good week at the plate. I get it. He has good games and then he disappears. 
but uh, I've got a I've got an inkling here. Maybe it's those observational analytics, Jim, kicking in <laughs> that Yohan Mikata, his bat's got some life. Yeah, everything is a series by series proposition at this point. Just the way guys have gotten hurt, guys have gotten healthy, guys have gotten hurt mid game again. Uh, bat speed has increased bat speed has decreased there's no point making plans for late september right now i think making plans for sunday in oakland is hard enough sure is and we'll be recapping that series between the white Sox and the athletics every day on socksmachine.com and we'll have a new podcast as well for you guys on monday morning to recap all the action in oakland i get it You'll also be listening to everything regarding as far as the NFL in week one. I wish you guys the best of luck in your fantasy football leagues this upcoming season and also your daily fantasy sports and all the sports betting that you guys make on the NFL. We get it, but this is also a big series for the Chicago White Sox. So we'll still share some time. And we all know the 49ers going to beat the Bears. I'm kidding. Sorry, Chicagoans. I'm sorry. That's the Niners fan in me, the homer. It should be a good game. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for watching on the live stream on YouTube.com slash Sox Machine, which you can subscribe to our channel. And please subscribe to our channel as our new goal is trying to get 1,000 subscribers so if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, and if you do like watching videos on YouTube, please visit our site at youtube.com slash SoxMachine and subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at SoxMachine. You can follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. If you don't get a chance to watch Sox Machine live during the live stream, you could always listen to the audio version on our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. If you enjoy our work and you want more, think about signing up to become a Sox Machine Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Machine, where we have several different tiers of support. Our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And we have new Sox Machine swag. They're the first ones to get it. Monthly plans start at $2, and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, the website is patreon.com slash Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.